Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Tom Butler. And I'm Brendan Duffy. You're listening to the James Bond A to Z podcast. Join us on this journey of discovery across the world of the 007 movies as we take an encyclopedic look at cinema's greatest spy films. We'll learn about the people who made them in front of the camera and behind, from Ken Adam to Max Zorin, with the occasional detour down a few rabbit holes. And we'll sometimes be joined by guests with unique insight into the world of Bond. This podcast is in no way affiliated with the James Bond brand, E.ON or the Fleming Estate. We do our best to make sure the information is accurate, but sometimes we do get it wrong. If you want to correct us on something or add some more detail, email us on podcast at jamesbondatz.co.uk. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Oi, 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 and welcome to the James Bond A to Z podcast where we have reached the letter O. My name is Tom Butler and joining me as we take a look at things from the world of James Bond movies that fall under the 15th letter of the alphabet. It's the observant and offbeat Mr. Brendan Duffy. Oi, oi, Savaloi. Oh, it's uh, it's a bit of a strange letter uh, in the alphabet. It hasn't got many entries in the world of Bond, unfortunately. So we're widening our remit a little bit on this episode. We've got a few Bond characters, a couple of oblique oddities. uh, And in the coming weeks, we'll have episodes on Octopussy and on a Magistry on Her Majesty's Secret Service uh, to look out for. Excited to do both of those. How about you? Obviously. That's the only Obviously. Think Very of. good. <laughs> Very good. So just a reminder that for our upcoming anniversary episode in October, we're going to be calling out for the uh, un- your underappreciated James Bond movie moments. So um, we want you to email your thoughts on the Bond movie moments that you feel is underappreciated that you want to shine a light on. Email a recording of yourself explaining who you are, what the moment is, and why in under two minutes, and email it to podcast at jamesbond.co.uk and we will compile the best entries into a episode to release around the 60th anniversary in October. Um, I'm aware that we record our episodes a little bit in advance, but uh, Brendan, did you see the news that it's going to be at least two years until we get Bond 26? I did. I did indeed. And what do you think? Oh, I'm not really surprised. I think I think that was what was expected. But obviously when, you, when it's confirmed, it does uh, make your heart sink a little. It does feel like a long, long way away, doesn't it? But it's a, mm. it's not nowhere near as long as we waited for for no time to die, and that was achievable. But um, yeah. I saw a lot of people getting upset or or sort of being confused by the idea that they would be reinventing Bond for Bond twenty six. But surely they reinvent Bond every movie. Uh, at the very least, they reinvent Bond at least once every actor changes. Yeah, so, uh, you exactly. know, um, Roger Moore went through two. Two changes of the direction oh. they went in. Yeah. <laughs> Connery, he probably did three. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I'm not, not surprised by that at all. I'd, I'd be shocked if they tried to continue it, what they were doing, to be honest. Well, I mean, for the sheer sake that um, 
it would be physically impossible for for them to to carry on yeah. as they were because James Bond is dust, isn't he? But um, but you know, two years is is something that they said in a uh, in an event, uh, <laughs> probably in a crowded bar. And so I don't think you can take everything that is said in those circumstances as gospel. I think um, where it's come down to MGM and, and Amazon, I think they might want to move things further along. But it just really depends on. Um, yeah, there's lots of different factors at play. That's what I'm trying to say. So I think maybe, you know, two years is probably about right. But I would be surprised if they didn't have someone lined up to play Bond already. But what do I know? I mean, yeah, it would be surprising that they've sat there during the whole pandemic and the last, what, when did the film come out? Eight months ago, nine months ago? And for them to sit there and not have thought about it at all, to be honest. No. But anyway, back to the letter O. So to kick things off, let's head back to 1964, take a look at the greatest Bond henchman of all time. Absolutely. And we did uh, talk about him a little bit in the Goldfinger episode, but O is for Odd Job, played by Harold Sakata. So Odd Job is the he's the bodyguard, the chauffeur, caddy. Has he got another job role? I think that's everything he does for Goldfinger. Ball Crusher. Yeah, ball, ball, ball Crusher. I mean, Hitman. Yeah, yeah. He, he's got it all, hasn't he? He's he's like he's probably the ideal henchman, isn't he? He's he's the man you would want. You know, he's he's strong. He's got throwing skills. He's loyal. And he doesn't talk. He doesn't talk. He yeah. <laughs> can't talk back. <laughs> So and and his interactions with Bond are very good. So um, it, it, I think the first time we see him, he's um, it's at the hotel when he knocks Bond out. Bond goes to the fridge to get some some more champagne and uh, knocks Bond out, and he kills Jill Master, Masterson. Um, I assume he's the one who covers her in gold paint. And then they meet again at the golf uh, the golf match. Is it a match? What do you call it? A golf game? Yeah, <laughs> golf it's game. a golf. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they meet during the golf. It's a game. round of golf, isn't it? Around that's it. That's, that's the word I was looking for. A round of golf. So the round of golf that they have. Odd job is the caddy for Goldfinger, and he he assists him in essentially cheating. But Bond is a bit shrewd about it all and swaps the balls so that in the end Bond has to has to win due to the club rules. This is where he gets quite angry. Odd jobs, you know, shows off his skills. Goldfinger tells him to. Uh, just points at the statue doesn't he (laughs) and he lobs his hat at the statue and knocks its head off and then this is where he crushes his golf ball which uh is is not actually physically possible but it's uh still an impressive feat on screen kills tilly masterson so he kills both of them doesn't he both of the masterson sisters um this time he throws a hat at tilly oh he drives um the guy who's the guy that refuses the gangster what's his name the one who's not interested solo Solo, is that's it. Solo? it. Yeah, yeah. Solo. He doesn't want to take take part in Goldfinger's scheme, so Odd Job then takes him out and uh, crushes him in a in the car. Puts him in the while, crusher. Well, Goldfinger just kills all the others anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he gets special treatment. Yeah. Well, maybe he just that's what, that's what he likes to do. He's a big fan of the crusher, and then. At the end, uh, the, the one thing I remember is odd job <laughs> coming down those steps. <laughs> it takes him ages to come down the steps, doesn't it? <laughs> he comes down the steps and then uh, he has a fight with Bond. And uh, the way that Bond finally defeats him is by electrocuting him. And we spoke about this in the Goldfinger uh, episode that that after that shoot, 
Harold actually held on and really badly burnt his hands. And Guy Hamilton was shouting, cut. And he just he just carried on holding them. They were, yeah, badly burnt after that. So he was dedicated to uh, to the job. So loyal actor as long uh, as well as a loyal henchman. And and one of the one of the great Bond henchman battles, I think. Yes, definitely. Yeah, because you, it's, it's one of them where you you see, had it have gone on and that not happened, Bond would have lost. Yeah. Which is what you want from a henchman, the re- a real sense of threat and peril. So in terms of the character odd job... Sorry, just to interject, just yeah. taking it back to the knick-knack question, is his name Mr. Job, first name Odd? Ooh. Or I mean, is he's he, never... Or has he got a... never explained, is it? No, it's not. Odd, Mr. Odd Job. Well, the thing is, is his name is spelt as one word. That's true. So is, has he got a name that we don't know of, a first name? Is it Mr. Oddjob? Who knows? Or, or is it... An, I mean, it's, this one seems like a nickname, doesn't it? Oddjob. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it seems more like an... Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the man who, who can do everything, right? It's a good name, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. He... I mean, he's such a popular henchman that he's, he's in loads of video games. He's in the James Bond 007. He's in GoldenEye Rogue Agent, GoldenEye 007, 007 Nightfire, and the original GoldenEye. But they, they made him really short in GoldenEye on the N64. Since that came out, the the people who made the game actually said that he was a cheat character. So if you picked him because he was so short and you couldn't you couldn't shoot him. You know, you could you could just run around and do what you want if you were played as him. It was an unfair advantage, wasn't it? Yeah. But really really popular character played by Harold Sakata who was born in 1920 and he was an American Olympic weightlifter, also a wrestler, uh, and then and then an actor and he won a silver medal for the US in the 1948 Summer Olympics um, for weightlifting so his full name was Toshiyuki Sakata and he adopted his more western name Harold when he was a teenager and prior to Goldfinger he'd never acted before Um, but because the character was considered to be mute this meant that it didn't really rely on much acting and he could just focus on his uh, physicality but before he actually got the role of odd job a former wrestler milton reed who was also an actor he auditioned for the role and he apparently he challenged sakata for a rest to a wrestling contest and whoever won would get the role well it doesn't sound very union friendly (laughs) no it doesn't (laughs) so it didn't go ahead because uh milton reed had already been in dr no and that character had been killed off. So they decided to go with Sakata. But Milton Reed did get to be in another Bond film. He played Sandor uh, in The Spy Who Loved Me. Um, ah, yes, of course. So Sakata also was in other films. So Jaws, in The Jaws of Death in 1976 and The Happy Hooker Goes to Washington in 1977, he was credited as Harold Oddjob Sakata. In the actual film oh. credits, um, <laughs> so much you know that the the role had become his, and he was like sort of more odd job than Harold Sakata at this point. But Guy Hamilton said about him, he said he's an absolutely charming man, and he had a very unique way of moving. So in creating Odd Job, he used all of Harold's own characteristics, and he does. He kind of uh, he glides, doesn't he? It's like a yeah. like a like a robotic glide. It's hard to explain. I've never seen anyone move like it. No, which what's that's probably what makes that fight with 
Bond so interesting because they're it's both Grace about moving. It. It's, it's yeah. there. That's graceful. And you've got the way Bond moves. It's very interesting visually. So he also appeared as odd job in the TV adverts for Vicks cough syrup, which we did talk <laughs> right. about. This is where odd job has got a horrible cough and uh, he is destroying everything around him. And the cure is some Vicks formula. And that stops stops him lashing out. So Carter, uh, he actually died four weeks after his 62nd birthday in 1982. But he did make one final appearance a few months before at the 54th Academy Awards, um, coming on stage as Odd Job, while Sheena Easton sang For Yours Only. I didn't realise it was just before he died. It's one something we've talked about a few times, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Sad. So, yeah, that, that was Harold Takata. And I just, just wanted to touch on one more thing. This is about the hat. So in, in 2020, a guy went on Antiques Roadshow and he had uh, his bowler hat that he had valued £30,000. So it was one of the original bowler hats from the film. The guy who owns it said he was a big Bond fan as a kid and his brother-in-law was a driver for Aston Martin during the film in a goldfinger mm. and he he asked pinewood if they had any any memorabilia so they gave him one of odd jobs bowler hats uh, but they took out the metal rim which that makes sense doesn't it if you're giving it to some kids essentially so he said as a young lad everyone wanted to throw the odd job hat and if you look at it everybody did throw the hat because it's absolutely in pieces because it didn't have the steel in it anymore so therefore whenever it landed it damaged it Oh, <laughs> um, so there's yeah. You can Google it, and it's really, it really has been battered. But the the guy who one of the presenters on Antiques Roadshow, Mark Allen, said he was shaking with anticipation and excitement over seeing the hat. So the other hats, there's one that the James Bond fan club in 1998 they had possession of one of Odd Jobs hats, and it was auctioned off at Christie's, and it it got sixty two thousand pounds, but it was in much better condition than the the, the Welsh one, and. There's there's another one as well that uh, went for auction for thirty six thousand dollars, and that was one from the estate of Harold Sakata. So uh, yeah, there's there's at least three hats floating around. Maybe maybe it's time to check check in your attics and see if you <laughs> if you've got an odd job hat lying around. But yeah, so um, yeah, an iconic henchman, probably the iconic henchman. Him and Jaws are probably the top two, aren't they? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he he's just uh, well. We talked about it before about him being the um, he's just the living embodiment of the the, the sort of ideal henchman. He's physically uh, unique. Yeah. Um, he's menacing. Um, he seems to enjoy his job. Um, all of these attributes that I think make for the perfect uh, perfect foil for Bond. Um, mm. Yeah. Someone that's physically able to to match him, and um, it's just been done many, many, many times since. And I was watching Octopussy, and uh, I think is is it um, is it Gobinda, and he he crushes the the dice in the casino. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it's just something that lives on, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and Hinks as well. Mr. And Hinks. Hinks, Hinks very much in the odd job mold. Doesn't talk. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, just just a, just an a, a, absolute uh, icon, definitely one of the all timers. When you see the, well, we say this, but the greatest hits of Bond clips, Odd Job is definitely in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did read that MythBusters did a episode where they proved that you wouldn't actually be able to decapitate a statue with Odd Job's hat, which yeah. is which is a shame. But uh, yeah, but I, I'm not surprised by that result. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but talk about the, 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 the clothes and the, and the memorabilia um, and checking in your cupboard. Did you see that? And it's completely off topic, but there was a, a, a dress from The Wizard of Oz that had been found in a shoebox in a school. Um, and it's going to be auctioned for like a million dollars or something. Wow. It literally yeah, just had just been left lying around in a shoebox and they were about to throw it out and they thought, I'll oh, just check in here, see what it is. And it was a dress from Wizard of Oz. So these things do get found um, many wow. years later. yes. Well, Wizard of Oz, didn't think we'd get there today, but <laughs> there you have it. Um, I've got to go somewhere else completely weird now as well. So on to the next section. Oh, it's for OK Connery. So... Um, as I mentioned in the intro, I said we'd be going somewhere a little bit uh, beyond where we usually cover. Um, and I obviously wasn't kidding. But OK Connery, which is also known, known as Operation Kid Brother, is an Italian spy spoof that was released in 1967. That has many, many crossovers with the world of, of James Bond, uh, most notably in that it stars Sean Connery's younger brother, Neil Connery as a secret agent well he's not really a secret agent I'll, I'll explain as we go along have you seen this movie brendan no and i know very limited about it to be honest so i'm looking forward to this it, it is bizarre i mean it's very um it's it, it's very much a cash-in type movie it's very sort of shoddily made but it is impressive how bond like it is um due to all the different connections so I mean, the general story or the story goes uh, for OK Connery is that Sean Connery's younger brother, Neil, who was eight years uh, Big Tam's junior, was a, a plasterer in the 1960s while his older brother was becoming this global megastar thanks to the James Bond film. So when Neil Connery uh, lost his tools, um, his plastering tools, um, or perhaps they were stolen, I'm not quite sure on the details on that, but he lost his tools and then he lost his job subsequently from it. And so when his union uh, took up the case, um, he then started to do a lot of press around it. So they were looking to get justice for him as a as a labourer. And because he was Sean Connery's brother, everyone wanted to interview him. So he did a lot of interviews talking about his story. And coincidentally, Terence Young, who was a director on um, a number of, of, of James Bond films, Doctor No and um, From Russia With Love's Thunderball, etc. He heard Neil Connery on the radio um, and he realised, obviously, how much he sounded like Sean Connery. So he told an Italian producer friend of his called Dario Sabatello. Now, Sabatello um, was a opportunistic filmmaker, let's say. He was at the time making spaghetti westerns, those sorts of things, on the cheap in Italy. Um, and so with Bond mania, spy mania at its height, uh, this guy Dario travelled to Edinburgh to meet Neil Connery and he agreed to pay him $5,000 to star in a spy spoof so he's got Neil Connery <laughs> it's the closest he's going to get to Sean Connery <laughs> although he does try and get Sean Connery in the movie but uh, not for not five a, grand not <laughs> definitely not for five grand um, that wouldn't pay for his toupees would it um, <laughs> <laughs> he, he so he manages to recruit and this is amazing because you would not get this nowadays but he manages to recruit Bernard Lee and Lois Maxwell to be in the film. He also hires Antonia Anthony Dawson, who was obviously in Doctor No. Um, we've got uh, Daniela Bianchi, who was in uh, From Russia with Love, and also Adolfo Celli from Thunderball. And interestingly, Adolfo Celli he plays sort of like the main villain, but he wears a monocle. Obviously, where Largo in Thunderball wears an eye patch, so it's all very like mm. referencing Bond. 
Um, there's also a sort of a female assassin who looks a lot like um, Rosa Club as well. And her name's Lottie Crayendorf, who and the actor that played uh, Rosa Club was called Lottie Lenya. Um, so Neil Connery in the movie plays a plastic surgeon. Um, I can't, it, the, the plot is so weird and, and complicated. I don't really want to try and explain it, but he gets recruited by Bernard Lee's Commander Cunningham to help um, take down this guy, Mr. Ty, who's played by Adolfo Celli, um, because he's got a device that freezes anything with moving metal parts. And the thing with um, Connery, Neil Connery, is that he's an expert archer, so he can doesn't have to rely on guns. I, told, I mean, it's weird. I told you. Um, so the, the the bizarre one of the bizarre things about OK Connery is that um, they hired Neil Connery because he looks like J- Sean Connery a bit, but he sounds a lot like Sean Connery. But what they actually did is when they dubbed the movie, they had an American dub over Neil Connery, so they don't even get his voice. What? Yeah, and for a lot of the movie as well, he's got like a goatee beard, um, which makes him look a lot less like. Uh, Sean Connery um, than you would have expected um, now why they dubbed over him it's not really clear but apparently he might have been poorly when they were doing dubbing um, and so he wasn't able to complete it but it completely um, I mean it completely negates the point of having him in the film in the first place yeah. um, but the film is, is full of, of Bond references like I said the, the very start of the film is has this sort of title sequence on a boat uh, which isn't very bondy but then it cuts to this bit where they're projecting a film onto a woman's back uh, very much like they do in you know the title sequence of dr no uh, of from russia with love and goldfinger so they're projecting yeah. a film onto a woman's back um and there are things like remote control vehicles all sorts of stuff that it does do uh, a lot of bond references but obviously it's very trying very carefully not to get sued um by cubby and harry at this point no one ever says james bond or 007 um and interestingly um neil connery's character is actually called dr neil connery and lois maxwell's character is called lois maxwell so um so <laughs> they did the um uh, a lot of work on the script uh but mr um at one point adolfo celli um He's talking to uh, Bernard Lee's character and he says he's enlisted the aid of that young Scottish doctor, you know, the brother of secret agent double O. And that's that's as close as they get. Yeah. So, like I said, the director, Alberto Domatino, he said that they had approached Sean Connery, who said he got so angry when he was approached that he literally literally kicked me up the backside. Um but Lois Maxwell, she enjoyed being in the movie. She's really good in it. She gets to do a lot more than she ever gets to do as Money Penny. Um, you get to see her having a machi- shooting a machine gun, all sorts of stuff. Um, and she said that she earned more money from OK Connery than she had done for her combined appearances in all the James Bond films uh, at that point. Um, so they must have looked after her. Um, and so in an interview in 1996, Lois Maxwell said that Sean Connery, had, when he'd learned that she'd joined the cast of this film, got very angry with her and started screaming, you have betrayed me. Um, but they patched things up um, when apparently she was in a press conference with Neil Connery and she sort of deflected a lot of the questions away from him, protected him from the press. And, and Sean Connery really, uh, yeah, was very impressed by her from that. And, and, and that sort of mended there mended their relationship so um yeah this film was released um around the world in 67 uh, under different titles operation 007 secret agent 00 operation kid brother okay connery um and it, it's Con- neil connery to be fair isn't bad 
in it. It's it's a passable performance considering he's a plasterer and he's never done any acting before. Uh, but it, like I said, it's really shoddily made. Um, and what I did think was funny at one point is that Connery wears some like never say never again style dungarees at one point. <laughs> um, it's a nice little link there. Um, it has been covered on the Mystery Science Theatre 3000, which it's not a concept I really fully understand well. Have you ever seen that? No. It's like an American thing where they play bad, hokey old movies and they have like characters commenting over it. Um, I think it's quite popular in America. I've, it's never translated to the UK, but um, they did an episode on it anyway. Right. Uh, but but talking about Neil Connery, he did do a couple more movies. He starred in a movie called The Body Stealers um, in 1969. Um, and he did a couple more uh, British things, one called Only When I Laugh in 1980 and a Bond spoof in a Chinese comedy Aces Go Places 3 in 1984. But yeah, it's a real oddity. We you can't you can watch it on YouTube, um not in great quality and I think it's available on Prime internationally but not in the UK. Um but I mean it's really is a it's it's just a it's a curio more than anything but um lots of interesting links I think to the Bond world. Hmm. Where's it going in your ranking? What's that? Where where would you put it in your ranking? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, i mean it's very similar to, to casino royale 67 actually right. but obviously doesn't have the high caliber stars like uh you know peter sellers and what have you so um it's got to go below there i'm not putting in the rankings <laughs> but yeah neil neil connery sadly died not long after his brother sean uh he died in may 2021 uh aged 82 he'd had um he'd had cancer so uh yeah but okay connery um one to uh one to seek out if you're a, a hardcore completist nah <laughs> o is for on a top Zenya on a top so Zenya on a top is a an ex-soviet pilot and she is in the film goldeneye she is a like a really sort of force to be reckoned with and you know very strong, very sort of um, got a real sexual energy about her. I don't want to come across as creepy, but that that's... Creepy, <laughs> rubbing your thighs. Yeah, yeah. That, but that's genuinely what, you know, it's quite a threatening sexual, sexual energy. And she gets a lot of satisfaction from the way she kills people as well. And her, her method of, of killing is um, crushing men between her thighs, which we see her do pretty early on. But before that, she is in a, a, a car chase with Bond. Bond's driving the DB5 down the Twisty Mountains. I can't remember where it was filmed. Was it Switzerland? Monte Carlo? It's on the way to Monte Carlo, isn't it? Yeah. Right, right. In the film, yeah. Um, and she's in a red Ferrari and they have a bit of a bit of a play with the, with the chase. Then she meets him in the casino. And this Great is where exchange. she... Yes, it is, yeah. And they've, they've got... They've got a bit of chemistry off right off the bat, haven't they? Even from that car chase, they have chemistry, which is impressive. Yeah. Um, but she uh, she kills Admiral Chuck Farrell in order to steal his uh, identity, and that's what she does. She she crushes in between her thighs and uh, really looks like she's enjoying it when she does so. Um, she kidnaps Natalia when they get to St Petersburg, and that's to try and lure Bond, isn't it? That's the the point of that. They have that famous steam room, you know, Bond and Xenia. They have the steam room fight, um, which uh, when they shot that, they they padded out the room and and just 
told them told the actors to go for it and just really <laughs> thrash each other around the room which is what they did so when bond rescues natalia she's then re- recaptured by xenia she tied on the train track Who? natalia natalia uh, they're laid across the track i think that's they? it yeah yeah so xenia then goes to cuba with uh, trevelyan natalia escapes with bond uh, and then in, in back in, uh, when they're in cuba they uh, they meet again and this is where Xenia f- falls to her death. The weight of the helicopter drags her against branches of a tree, and it crushes her uh, in a you know in a sort of how she kills people. She's just the same as happened to her. It's quite a fitting death, really. Yes, but I mean, in terms of henchmen, she's she's up there as well. To be honest, another great henchman. Yeah, well, I was going to say you've done. Oh, we had an odd job, and now we've got. On a top, and I think uh, On a top is not only one of the great hench people; she's also one of the great Bond girls as well, isn't he? She sort of yeah. straddles that uh, absolutely two great cornerstones of the Bond franchise, and yeah, um, yeah that death. You, you mentioned the death of the the Canadian. Uh, what was he like a general at the start? But um, Chuck Farrell, yeah, Chuck Farrell, and you, I can just see you mentioned it. I can just see his face and purple, her, like, his purple face, bulging eyes, yeah. isn't it? and he's smiling through it as well, isn't he? Yeah. He's loving it, um, and the way that she sort of, um, yeah, the way that she's enjoying it as well. And I love the bit where they get to Servania and um, she's machine gunning people and just enjoying machine gunning people. Mm. Um, it's yeah. just so sinister and brutal. But uh, yeah, she's just one of the one of the many reasons I love that that movie. I think excellent, yeah, great performance and um, played by Famke Janssen, who is a Dutch actor born nineteen sixty four, famous for so other roles include Jean Grey in the X Men series. She was very good in that actually. Very good, one yeah. The, yeah, um, she was in Nip Tuck. She played Lenore Mills in the Taken trilogy. Um, right. She gets taken in the second one. Well, who? It's daughter, yeah, daughter mean, it's daughter in the first. Then it's her, right. in the, and then the third one. No one gets taken. It's just him is it, running, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. In two thousand eight, she was made a goodwill ambassador for integrity by the UN. Other roles we've got Hemlock Grove. Have you seen that Netflix original? Mm, is it about werewolves? It's yeah. It's werewolves, maybe vampires, that sort of thing. Not, not seen it. She was in. How to Get Away with Murder, not seen that either. But she said about the role of uh, Xenia, she said, my dad was a big lover of the Bond films. So seeing how the women had been and how they'd been portrayed, I also saw that it's tongue in cheek, that entire franchise. So from all that history of what what I'd learned over the time of watching those movies, that kind of came up a bit with Xenia on the top and who she was and that she would be a stronger kind of Bond woman. But that it needed to be tongue in cheek in a way. Uh, and I think she pulled it off. If that's, you know, she went in with that mindset. She absolutely pulled it off. And uh, there aren't many more. If you talk about the modern era of Bond, I can't think of one who really comes close that to, that does what she does. No, especially not in the on on the villain side. Or I think Goldeneye does have a couple of great Bond girls, doesn't it? I think Natalia's pretty good. Yeah. I wonder whether it's a Martin Campbell thing. Because obviously you've got Eva Green, who then sort of redefined or defined what we think of Bond girls for, yeah, for, yeah. for the next iteration of Bond, didn't we? But yeah, she's just terrific. I can't get uh, 
can't speak highly enough of uh, Anna Tup. Absolutely, and she it, it, she's one of the characters that you can't take your eyes off the screen when she's when she's on. Great costuming um, as well. Yeah, um, and the ma- match matching the car that she gets at the start, um, and then also what a name! Just like mm. a great a great Bond character name. It could have been plucked from from Fleming, right? Yeah, um, definitely. I believe it's it must be brand new, right? From the from the writers. Yeah, I mean, is on a top even a real surname? <laughs> <laughs> if your if your name is on a top, please email the show um, and let us know that it's a, it is a real name um, and not just something made up by a schoolboy James Bond character. <laughs> so there we go. Zenya on the top. Coffee, medium sweet. Two, medium sweet. Thanks for listening. We hope you're enjoying the James Bond A to Z podcast. Remember, if you want to support the show, we have a coffee page at ko-fi.com forward slash James Bond A to Z, where you can buy us a coffee for just £3 or for £3 a month. Thanks for listening. Back to the show. Is that all it does? O is for Orlov, General Orlov. Now, General Orlov is one of the villains of Octopussy, played by Stephen Burkoff. And we'll do Orlov and Octopussy very soon in much more detail, but uh, here's, a, here's a little bit of a summary. So Orlov is a high-ranking, highly decorated general, Soviet general, with a seat on the Supreme Committee. And he's obsessed with the idea that invading Western Europe is the only way to demonstrate the Soviet Union's strength and power. His plan is to to set off a nuclear bomb on the US Air Force Base in West Germany, hoping that the US will withdraw forces from from Europe and leave the West unprotected. But um, yeah, he works. It's so complicated, but he's working with Kamal Khan to smuggle the bomb across the borders. But he does get shot at the borders um, when he is uh, trying to, to follow the train, which had the bomb on board. Um, and he gets a decent enough villain death. He has that 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 line about being a Soviet hero in the morning. Um, little does he know that his plot is going to be foiled by James Bond dressed as a clown. So <laughs> uh, Roger Moore had actually worked with um, Stephen Burkoff um, on The Saint many years before. And on the the audio commentary for for Octopussy, he calls Stephen Burkoff a very inventive actor. And he also says, in the nicest way, he can really chew the scenery. He's a larger-than-life character. And that is, I think, a polite way of Roger Moore saying that Stephen Burkoff is uh, is a bit of a maniac thespian. (laughs) Um, That's generally the the reputation that he's got. His performance in Octopussy is over-the-top. I mean, it's perfect for, for Bond. But Stephen Burkoff said that he thought that John Glenn had curbed some of his excesses. So if it was even more excessive than what we get in, in Octopussy, well, that would have been uh, quite something. Burkoff doesn't do many interviews, so he hasn't talked much about being General Orlov. But in a, in a 2018 interview, he said that he liked playing villains. He says, I like evil people. I'm like a surgeon who is happiest when working with a very diseased body. But yeah, just a little bit uh, about uh, Stephen Burkov. He was born Leslie Stephen Burks on um, in, in in August 1937 in Stepney in the East End of London, and his family were, were Jewish immigrants whose whose family name was originally Burkovitz. His father anglicised it to Burks, um, and then later um, Stephen Burkov changed his surname to Burkov, and 
started using his middle name rather than Leslie. His family had emigrated to America after World War II, but they returned to England after his father failed to find work. But Burkhoff's acting began um, with um, with theatre training uh, in a repertory company in Barrow in Furness in the 1960s. Um, and since then, he's, he's basically worked very, very extensively in the theatre. He's a he's a playwright. He's a director. He's an actor. He's a writer. And his role in Octopussy uh, launched quite a successful career for him, often playing villains in Hollywood movies. So he next appeared in Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, he was also in Rambo First Blood Part Two as the villain. Um, but he's played. He also appeared in Clockwork Orange and Barry Lyndon. So he's got some great credits to his name. He also appeared opposite Daniel Craig in the 2011 uh, adaptation of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, playing uh, the attorney to uh, Christopher Plummer's character. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Mm. On TV, he's done a lot of he's done loads of TV work. He's appeared in Deep Space Nine, Children of Dune, Space Precinct, and of course Doctor Who. Mm. Uh, more recently, um, he's appeared in Vikings as well. I would say the most famous thing <laughs> for me. <laughs> Beyond Octopussy for Stephen Burkov is when he got pranked by Brass Eye. Um, do you remember this? Uh, which which one was it? <laughs> so Brass Eye, for anyone who hasn't listened, is, is a satirical news program which uh, by written by Chris Morris um, that uh, had a lot of uh, it did a lot of pranks on celebrities, sort of skewering the pomposity and like getting celebrities to get involved in campaigns for things that were patently not real. Um, one of them famously being a drug called Cake, which was this giant yellow tablet. But the one Stephen Burkhoff got done for was he was warning people against the dangers of heavy electricity. <laughs> and he stood in front of like a model pylons and he's got like a, a mallet and he's using this mallet to smash people and he's warning them like about heavy electricity. So he got really badly pranked, but it's, it's very funny. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's that's all I've got on, on all of really. We'll cover him some more in some more detail on Octopussy. Uh, but I also just wanted to give a shout out because we haven't got him on this episode, but to General Urimov, uh, played by Gottfried John in Goldeneye. Um, he was a renowned German actor. Um, he worked a lot with uh, with Fassbinder, um, and I think he's terrific in in in, uh, in Goldeneye. So apologies, Urimov, uh, but all of he, uh, he 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 got the nod on this episode rather than yourself but Gottfried John great actor that said he died in in 2014 um, but another great addition absolutely so now in a strange slot O is for the Oscars ooh yes um, Academy Awards yeah the Academy Awards so the first first thing I'm going to start off is I'm going to I'm going to tell you that there are five Bond films that have, have won Academy Awards. Ooh. Can, can you name them? Well, I'll start from the most recent because No Time to Die, Spectre and Skyfall all won Oscars. Yes. For best song. Yeah. I think I think the other two are I'm gonna say Thunderball and Goldfinger. Oh it's ingrained in your mind, isn't it? Oh, yes. Did I get it right? You got it right, yeah. So yes. um best sound effects, uh Goldfinger. Best Special Visual Effects, Thunderball. And then Skyfall won Best Original Song and Best Sound Editing. Uh, and then Best Original Song for Spectre and No Time to Die. So, yeah, it's on, a, it's on a very good run at the moment of Best Original Songs. 
Um, yeah. It's had a few nominations along the way as well. Original score, best sound, Dimes Are Forever, best song, Live and Let Die, best art direction, The Spy Who Loved Me, and The Spy Who Loved Me got three nominations. It got a best original score, best original song. Moonraker. Yeah, a big, a big year. It was. Sadly, it didn't win because, you know, I think the art direction for Spy Who Loved Me, you know, the work that Ken Adam, Peter Lamont did on that yeah, is incredible. Uh, but 1980, also Moonraker got, got nominated for the visual effects, which we mentioned in the, in the Moonraker episode. Um, the For Your Eyes Only uh, song got nominated. And then more recently, you've seen uh, Skyfall really, it really did well in terms of nominations. Best cinematography, best original score, best sound mixing. And then of course, it won two. Um, and then No Time to Die was nominated for best sound and best visual effects as well. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's never going to be one that cleans up at the awards, but just the fact that it's, it's, it's there and, you know, it's getting nominated and it has got some wins is, it's impressive. Yeah. I think there's, um, I think there's, I see conversations where it's like they're in the Daniel Craig area, they've really chased the Oscar success, the Oscar glory, Mm. but the the Bond films are in contention for, for Oscars. (laughs) From like yeah, all the way every decade, Gold, yeah, Goldfinger onwards. So I think yeah. that's a little bit disingenuous. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they want the prestige of the uh, of the Academy Awards, but they've always been in contention because they've always made quality movies, haven't they? Mm. Yeah. So who's the only Bond actor to win an Oscar? Well, it's got to be Connery, hasn't it? It's Connery. Do you know the role? Uh, untouchables yes you have to yeah you, you, have you learnt this have you been, done your homework i've been doing my homework now this <laughs> is and then you've got some some bond alumni that have won academy awards as well so christopher walken he got it for the deer hunter judy dench judy dench who we covered she won it for her i think eight minutes on screen in uh, shakespeare in love yeah Halle Berry, of course, won it while she was shooting on die another day she won best actress uh, for monsters ball Javier Bardem, he won Best Supporting Actor for No Country for Old Men. Um, Christoph Roltz has won two Best Supporting Actor for Inglourious Bastards and Django Unchained. Uh, Remy Malik in 2019 for Bohemian Rhapsody. And uh, Benicio Del Toro also for Traffic. He won Best Supporting Actor in 2001. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's not shy of having uh, having some decent academy award winners on on their books either um, i guess going back to my point about chasing awards um, more recently more recently they have yeah. had they've been able to attract a better caliber yeah definitely of people haven't they you see those those names of oscar winners are more yeah more recent really um i, I think it wasn't walking is he the only villain to have played a bond actor to have played a bond he was the first actor to have played a bond villain that was an oscar winner i think yeah because he was already in a uh, he'd already won it when he yeah. played uh zorin yeah. yeah but then obviously chris of he he'd won the academy award yeah. when he played blofeld and then so. rami malek as well malek. Hadn't he? So, yeah. yeah yeah and in terms of the directors so we've only had one that won their won the best director do you know who it is Oh, what a Bond director who won best... best uh, is it Sam Mendes? Sam Mendes for American Beauty, yeah, in, in 1999. But we nearly got two, because Danny Boyle, of course, won it for Slumdog Millionaire in 2008. 
Yeah, very true. In 1982, they actually recognised Cubby Broccoli and they awarded him the Irving G. Talberg Memorial Award for his excellence in the industry. Yeah. And then more recently, they uh, did a, a special in to, to celebrate 60 years of Bond, which was so weird because it was presented by skate, <laughs> skateboarder Tony Hawk, <laughs> snowboarder Sean White and surfer Kelly Slater. And then they, they presented this mon- montage, which, which was set to the uh, Live and Let Die. E- um, even though Billie Eilish was there singing No Time to Die. And Judy Dench was there. It's just... <laughs> and Lazy Bee lives in LA, <laughs> as does Piers Brosnan. Honestly, it's so bizarre, isn't it? Like, mm. it, Yeah. I, um, but, but, you know, it's recognition, isn't it? That's, that's, that's the main thing, I guess. <laughs> mm. Is it? And that was the year that uh, they did the, um, the For Your Eyes Only um, stage production, isn't it? When he got the Irving Falberg. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, and that's quite, a, quite something to watch if you've seen it. Um, that's got Harold Sakato. I think Richard Keel as well. There's an actor playing James Bond. Um, there's a whole like sequence, like action sequence. It's a bizarre, bizarre moment. But um, they should do more stuff like that, to be honest. Yeah, with skateboarders. But with the skateboarders, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or free runners, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Do you think? I mean, I'm not a huge Oscars fan. I mean, I've covered them professionally for for quite a long time. I don't feel like they really mean a great deal, but. Um, I guess it does add prestige to your picture if you win one. Yeah, but I just think the way it's chosen and the way the winners are chosen, it it's not it's not that exciting anymore, is it? You can you can normally predict the normal three or four films that are going to sweep the awards. So it's I don't know. It's it, it seems to me not really very merit. Merit, 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 not a meritocracy, no. Meritocracy, yeah. It's mm. more of a popularity contest exactly. sometimes, isn't it? Who's yeah. got the money to campaign? And the fact that the Bond films have won three songs in a row, um, that surprises me. It seems like now they release the song and, and, and they go on to win. I don't know how they judge what the best original song is for a movie. It's, well, that's the other yeah. issue, isn't it? How How are these being picked you know it's it's not like an olympics where you've got tangible you know you've got times and uh stuff to go by this is just sort yeah. of the opinion of you know a few people yeah well i'm sure they'll um sure there'll be plenty more oscar success down the line for the bond films but i think like you know winning for technical awards sound and visual effects is 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 a noble uh noble victory i think for those early bond films um, Absolutely, and I think those are the thing; those are the awards that that should be looked at with more prestige than the than the the big, you know, the big five or six that everyone talks about. I think the ones where that is about the craft, I think mm. they're much much more uh, valid. Yeah, look opinion. at June. You know that cleared up at the Oscars, didn't it? Another yeah. Bond uh, content, Bond direct contender, Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, I didn't do No Time to Die because he was doing June. I think he made the right decision, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right, on to the last section. And this is O is for O'Toole. Plenty O'Toole. And uh, played by Lana Wood in D- Diamonds Are Forever. We covered um, Plenty O'Toole in our Diamonds Are Forever episode. So you can go back to that one. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're saying uh, that 
she's not on screen very much in Diamonds Are Forever. I think she only gets a few scenes. She's quite memorable. Yeah, in the um, casino, she gets thrown in the pool. Yeah, and she get the, they get the great line, you know, plenty of tool named after your part your father, um, which is a great uh, great Connery one liner. But um, yeah, so so Lana Wood was born Svetlana Lisa Gurdin in 1946. Her, her parents were Russian immigrants, um, and her older sister was Natalie Wood, and we'll come on to her in a minute. Uh, she her sister Natalie was born Natasha Gurdin. Um, and she took the name stage name Natalie Wood on one of her first movies. So when Lana followed her into acting and her first movie role was in John, uh, The Searchers with John Wayne, they asked her what the, her want, they wanted her stage name to be and they chose her sisters. So it was Lana Wood uh, to, to her sisters, Natalie Wood. Um, and their sisters actually appeared in a lot of films together. But her Lana Wood's career really took off in the 1960s. She appeared in a drama series called The Long Hot Summer. And then she landed a role in a soap opera called um, Peyton Place. Um, she got the call for Diamonds Are Forever, um, which obviously was shooting in the USA. So was looking for American Bond girls as her friend. She was friends with Tom Mankiewicz, who was writing the script um, and preparing her for the audition. He told her to wear high heels uh, to, and try to look tall. She was originally uh, in the frame to play Tiffany Case. I don't know if you remember this story from Diamonds Are Forever, but she was lined up to play Tiffany Case, but lost out to Jill St. John um, when she came on the scene. And there's a bit of a sort of a shady story behind that in that there was a, a lawyer called Sidney Korshak who basically strong-armed the production into casting Jill St. John as Tiffany Case. Um, but worth revisiting the Diamonds Are Forever episode if you want to learn more about that. But talking about the director, Guy Hamilton, Lana Wood said, Guy was very easygoing. The first day I cornered him and said, this is what I see about Plenty. This is the problem that I have. I don't want her to come off as a heavy or someone manipulative. I want her to speak in a higher voice. I want to make her very sweet, very honest, very empty headed. And I tried to mimic Lee Taylor Young and Minnie Mouse. I needed that type of lilting voice. I wanted her to come off as very ingenious. It was a choice. And Hamilton basically said, Lana, do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah um she'd obviously put a lot of thought into it um she had uh she's talked about this quite a lot at length in past that she had uh, a, a um an affair on set with sean connery as did jill st john <laughs> despite lana wood she, at the time was in a relationship with the lyricist leslie brickus um and so this sort of affair with connery was short was short lived she said we actually started having an affair before filming began but we kept it secret neither of us was married at the time but it still isn't done to be public about it i remember being very embarrassed when we had to do the love scenes because we were trying not to let people know you want to be a good actress but for it not to seem too convincing she said <laughs> sean was a combination of a rough tough guy and a charmer a ladies man so uh yeah it was all happening on diamonds are forever yeah well they're, they're told to do what she wants so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there are, like you mentioned, there is a scene where Plenty of Tool gets thrown out the window into the pool, um, and there was another scene that she shot, uh, but didn't it didn't get cut, it didn't get um, uh, make it into the final film, and she was quite annoyed about that because she was being thrown into this pool at like three o'clock in the morning, and she kept having to be like having her hair and makeup redone when they wanted to do other takes, and when she went to see the movie. She said a lot of my scenes were cut. I didn't know what, didn't know it until I saw the film. I felt like I bent over to pick up my, my popcorn and Plenty was dead. I was not a happy <laughs> camper. 
<laughs> I recall thinking, is this what I've travelled all over the world promoting? I was devastated. She said oh, there was dear. plenty more of plenty, but we didn't get to see it. After Diamonds Are Forever, she said that she did suffer a bit with being stereotyped. Um, she said she thought it would open more doors, but in fact, it didn't open any doors at all. I was off- All I was offered was sex pot roles, and you can't be doing those forever. I did suffer from being stereotyped. Now, sadly, Lana's life um, in the future would become dominated by the death of her sister, Natalie Wood. Do you know this story? No. So her her older sister, Natalie, um, she was found drowned at sea on November the 29th, 1981, um, while she was on a boating holiday with Robert Wagner and their friend Christopher Walken. Mm. Second mention of Christopher Walken. Now... Robert Wagner is now married to, to, to Jill St. John. So it's a weird connection um, between the two of them. But there's been suspicions that there's foul play involved um, with the death of Natalie Wood. It's never really been explained how she fell into the water, why she drowned, why she wasn't rescued. And so Lana Wood has been campaigning ever since to try and get to the bottom of the truth of what, what happened. She said, I don't believe it was premeditated, but that doesn't mean I don't think he did it. Of course he did it. And she's talking about Robert Wagner, to be clear, not Christopher Walken. And Christopher Walken uh, doesn't really talk about the incident and hasn't really spoken about it um, since 1997. And he just said, you know, I didn't see anything. It's nothing to do with me. It's a very sad situation. That's it. Just I don't want to be asked about it again. So um, he doesn't talk about it. But um, in 2018, a retired detective declared that Robert Wagner was a person of interest in the death of Natalie Wood. Um, And he made the decision after interviewing lots of witnesses who claimed to have seen Wagner and Natalie Wood arguing on the boat before her disappearance. But uh, earlier this year in 2022, after years of uh, investigation, the LA County Sheriff's Department declared Robert Wagner of any wrongdoing in the death of Natalie Wood. So that is basically the end of that story um, very very sad story that's sort of dominated uh, the sisters lives but an interesting one so just talking about uh, plenty of tall again just to bring it back to bond she said for a long time i thought i'd made a mistake with the character but no longer now when my life revolves around looking after my grandchildren if i get a bond related invite i jump at the chance so there you go that's lana wood plenty of tall hmm. so i think we've covered a lot of ground in today's episode we have yeah, so let us know your underappreciated Bond moments. If there's one that really jumps out of you. Have you got any that jump out? Plenty of tool being thrown out the window. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it, is a, it is a great, great moment. It, it's uh, a great uh, gag, and he said, I didn't realise there was a pool there. Yeah. Um, um, there's quite a few in Diamonds Are Forever, you know, little little pieces. I do like the car, the car going at the wall. So if you've got stuff like that, a little underappreciated stuff from, from the 60 years of Bond, then do let us know. You can email us on podcast at jamesbond uk or on the socials at jamesbond to z on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, email us uh, the, your thoughts as an audio file if you can. MP3 um, is fine. Whatever, you, whatever your phone records at or if you've got a microphone, even better. Keep it under two minutes. Make sure you include your name and your underappreciated moment and why you've chosen it. And we'll include those in our... 60th anniversary episode in October. So our next episode will be a special on the 1983 Roger Moore film Octopussy. That's one to look forward to. Big episode. (laughs) 
big episode. And we'll have a special guest joining Brendan and I for that. So yeah if thanks for listening to this this the, the podcast if you want to support the show you can uh send buy us a coffee on cof on ko-fi.com forward slash james bond a to z cost you less than the price of a pint of beer but it will bring a big smile to our faces and help us to keep the show going or you can buy a t-shirt and the uh the show notes um will send you in the right direction to to buy one of those but um without further ado it's time to say that the james bond a to z podcast will return next week ciao are you gonna say something funny for wheatley's <laughs> exit <laughs> what does he what would he say like, bye cheery bye <laughs> Tatty, tatty ho. Tatty, yeah, yeah, something like that. Anyway, thanks for listening. The James Bond A to Z podcast features Tom Butler, Brendan Duffy, and Tom Wheatley. The podcast was produced by Tom Wheatley, with music by Tom Ingomels, and artwork supplied by Helen Dolly. Hi, I'm Plenty. But of course you are. Plenty O'Toole. Named after your father, perhaps. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.